Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Today, we are going to talk about how to get over imposter syndrome. I know that for myself, feeling insecure, feeling like I was a perfectionism and I had unrealistic high standards for myself. I thought that a lot of my success was due to luck and I was going to be quote unquote found out and had this overwhelming fear of failure in the office sometimes, which led me to overwork and to seek positive reinforcement way more than I needed to. So this was a conversation that I really wanted to have because it impacts a ton of women who are that great combination of overachiever and people pleaser and looking for approval and acceptance. And I know I drank to quiet some of those feelings and on business trips and happy hours and business dinners to feel more at ease. So my guest today is Amy Liz Harrison. 
And she hosts the podcast Eternally Amy, a sober mom of eight journey from jail to joy. She lives in Seattle. We have a lot of friends in common, which is fantastic. She joins others in sobriety on her podcast to share their experiences with recovery, sober parenthood, spirituality, deconstruction of faith, addiction, and mental health and wellness. And that's a lot, but she does it with ease. A little bit about Amy. She is a mother of eight biological children. Oh my God, that's incredible. An author, a sobriety coach, and a recovery mental health advocate with 10 years of sobriety under her belt. She's the best-selling author of Eternally Expecting, A Mom of Eight Gets Sober and Gives Birth to a Whole New Life, Her Own, and Eternally Awkward, A Future Mom of Eight Reflects on Mysteries of Anxiety ADHD and coming of age in the 80s. So let's talk. Thank you for having me here, first of all, Casey. And I'm cracking up because even just listening to you read the bio, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got to go back and change that. Like I've, I've been sober almost 13 years and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it just, what I heard was like, oh, I'm behind. I got to go back and change this. I have to fix this. This is not up to date. This is different. Yeah. And like it's the just over ironic. The, yeah. Oh, I messed up. Oh my gosh. I feel you on that. Right? And it's just like these little things constantly in my life that I feel like, oh my gosh, well, that's, yeah, that's my responsibility. I need to go back and do that, fix that, make that better, whatever. So it's just ironic that we're talking about imposter syndrome. So I'm thrilled to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. I mean, I think the idea that the persistent belief that we are not as competent or successful as others perceive us to be, despite evidence of accomplishments, is something that we struggle with. And Personally, I struggled with it mostly in the office. And I really do believe it's part of the culture we're raised in. It's part of the idea that often in the office, it's male dominated. And I always, you know, it's a joke among my female colleagues that men get promoted based on their potential, quote unquote, potential as perceived by their bosses and management. And women get promoted based on their accomplishments or essentially already doing the job that they're right. going to be promoted to. And if that's really pervasive, of course, you feel like other people manage things with more ease. Right. Absolutely. And I know that I for sure have felt that anything that I accomplish in life, immediately what I do is attribute it to something, right? Some external thing like, oh, well, you know, I was given this opportunity and I, you know, was uh, somebody designed this contract that I signed. It wasn't me. I didn't. And while some of that is true, what always happens for me is I fail to perceive my own successes or my own 
like contributions to a perceived success, right? Yeah. As having any value. And that's just been like a resounding theme throughout my life. And, you know, I'm a Gen X kid, grew up in the 80s in Silicon Valley. And I'm here to tell you, pretty much adopted the misbelief when I was a child that I was dumb or slow or behind the times or just couldn't learn as quickly as my classmates and my friends. And while that particular demographic in that area does tend to have a lot of, or at least it did back then, right, overachieving families, right? And and most of my friends were in the GATE program, which stands for Gifted and Talented Education, which mm -hmm. I was not in, right? And so all of these things were kind of like this perfect storm and recipe for this misbelief that I was dumb. And back then, of course, I didn't know it, but I had ADHD. It was undiagnosed until my late 30s. And I really didn't understand anything about, you know, I mean, when many of us within that age bracket were in school, we didn't know anything about these different learning styles. And I mean, it was kind of not a thing, you know? Yeah. And so as time went on and we get to have exposure to these different, oh, you know, and it started with she's a visual learner or she's a, you know, auditory learner, whatever it is, you know, we just start to learn more about this stuff. And so for me, I would say how imposter syndrome showed itself back then and today is pretty much this fear, this core fear that I'm going to wake up in the morning and people are going to figure out that I have like no idea what I'm doing <laughs> in life yeah. in general, right? In whatever plate I'm spinning, whatever avenue I'm pursuing, the people will just go, oh, whatever. She has no clue, you know? Mm -hmm. And so after living with that and you know, I'm married to a very successful husband. And so I noticed these stark differences between the way that he and I perceive things and messaging for sure. I love that you brought up the whole, the office example, because that is just so true too, is just the different perceptions that happen as a result of us not sometimes believing in ourselves or being assertive or pointing out, hey, you know what? I'm actually already doing that and here's how or whatever it is. But I know that um, for me personally, I could not, anything that I accomplished, I could not own that and tell myself, yeah, I'm really proud of that. I did a really good job. And I think Partially, that's because I still, at 47 years old, will, my knee-jerk reaction is to look around and rely on outside influences to define what success is. Mm -hmm. And then I adopt that, even if I don't want that. So then it's like this weird dichotomy, right, where I have to kind of rewind back like the entire boat up and just go, wait a minute, 
But what do I define as success? What does success look like for me? And at the end of the day, I have to lay my head on the pillow and the best place that I can lay my head on that pillow is a good conscience, right? And at peace with myself. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm working on it. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Gosh, I had so many thoughts as you were talking. First of all, I love Gen Xers. I am 48. So I also grew up in the 80s and 90s, obviously. And that was sort of the latchkey generation. Like you were on your own. A lot of the time, I remember, you know, walking home from school, punching in the, the code on my garage to get in. My mom came home at like 7 p.m. You know, it cracks me up now because my daughter's in the other room. But if we had a snow day, you know, usually it was the era before working remotely, like we would just be home on our own. And I also moved a lot. So I really felt like I needed to fit in for sort of emotional safety and even physical safety in school, you know, when you're bullied. You needed your tribe. But not only that, when you went somewhere, you really wanted to fit in Mm -hmm. with the people around you. So not only that, but I always kind of felt like I needed to be the nicest and the most fun and sporty and never make waves. And then I went to boarding school. And I went to a fancy boarding school just because my parents lived overseas and the government paid for me to live elsewhere. There was no good school in the countries I was in. And it was a joke at my boarding school that you could never be too rich, too blonde, or too thin. Like there was competitive eating disorders in my dorm. Everybody was bulimic. Lots of people were anorexic. And I felt like I couldn't even be good enough at having an eating disorder, which sounds bad. I tried it. (laughs) I literally tried briefly, and I'm talking like two weeks to be quote unquote anorexic or bulimic. And I was like, I can't fucking do this. Like, it's so bad. Um, I don't even have the discipline to like throw up my food. Okay, people listening, I apologize. But, you know, it carries through your life. Even, you know, my husband always said I had a daddy complex at work, despite, and it didn't matter, by the way, if my boss was a woman or a man, like I wanted the pat on the head. I wanted the positive reinforcement. And I worked in an industry where there were layoffs often in the companies I was in, you know, sometimes it was yearly layoffs. And so I was constantly insecure and felt like I had to hustle to maintain, you know, just maintain my financial security. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how much that contributes to imposter syndrome. Like in the office, I felt like I was too young, even though I was like the youngest director promoted in one of my companies. I felt like, you know, I when I when I became a sobriety coach and podcaster, I felt like people who'd been sober longer than me would be like, who the hell is she? What does she know? You know, I think I was 
four years sober when I became a coach and a podcaster. I'm now eight years sober, but it's, you know, you feel insecure about everything. And then we're going to talk about how you overcome it because as you, you know, I drank to sort of quiet my mind, to quiet that insecurity when you're out with colleagues or even out with friends in college, like you drink to be like, let me shut down these insecurities in my life and bond with these people. But once you stop drinking, you're sort of confronted with navigating those emotions without that numbing. And that's the work. But I have to say my imposter syndrome and the peace of mind and just the ability to accept the positive reinforcements and believe in myself is like 90% better than it was when I was drinking. Because when I was drinking, I felt like I couldn't cope with life. My anxiety was off the chart. You know, I didn't want anyone to look at me too closely because I felt like if they knew I was drinking, they would be like, as much as I did, Mm -hmm. they would not want to be friends with me. They would not want to, you know, I wasn't, it was a problem. You know what I mean? I absolutely do. And I can totally identify with everything that you said. When I was drinking, I think I started out as, okay, I want to be connected. I want to be included. You know, I want to be glamorous. I had young kids at home at the time and I just wanted a break, you know? And so I'd go to these book clubs and I'm meeting people and we were, you know, fancy, fancy, or at least I thought so. Right. And so then when I turned to more like, oh, alcoholic type drinking, like this is actually gripping me. I'm not in control of this. This is controlling me. When it started spinning out of control, that's when I was like, I got to like at least put on a show for everybody that I, you know, I have this in the bag. And so Mm -hmm. I started saying things like, well, I could stop at any time or you know, I'm just going through a quote, hard time right now, unquote. And I'm not trying to minimize anything that I was experiencing, but oh, we all did that. I mean, know, I don't think it's, yeah. it's the rationalization. It's totally trying to protect your drinking and yet, you know, keep drinking. At least that's what it was for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was the person going, oh yeah, well, I'm just working so hard with my therapist. We're just going through a lot right now. And then I had Nalgene bottles in my purse full of vodka that I planned on drinking at the therapist session because no I way. couldn't. You drank at the oh. therapist? Yes, girl. Yes, I did. Yeah. And so for me, it was this overcompensating all the time, like damage control, right? Like, let me make this appear a certain way. So that I can feel like you're not worried about me, or you're not going to say anything, or you're going to still hang out with me. And in my mind, I'm like creating all these fictitious scenarios. And P.S., I'm here to tell you, everybody knew I was over drinking. Everybody knew. So it was me who was lying to myself, essentially, anyway, and trying to come up with this like 
this whole scenario that I was fine when I wasn't. So I think too, part of all of that was in the area where we live now in Seattle, it was kind of a similar like, oh, you know, this is, you know, you meet people, this is so-and-so, she's the former president of whatever uh, organization and club, and she was the sales director at this company and blah, blah, blah. And all these really high achieving women, or at least what society, you know, has told us is a high achieving woman, right? And then me feeling immediately inferior, my background being in a short stint of teaching 10th grade English before I got pregnant with my first kid. And so immediately that would set the bar that like, oh, well, I'm I'm below her. And so then drinking to kind of make myself feel like, oh, well, I'm going to build this authentic connection with her. And I'm going to mm-hmm. do that through liquid courage. Yeah, And then feeling like, you know, as time went on, here, here are all these domestic things that people were doing, right? That set them a bar sort of above me, at least in my own mind, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so-and-so, she's got this amazingly perfect magazine-worthy house at all times. She never has the pile of laundry sitting there on the couch, you know? You have eight kids. Like, what the hell? Like, how can you possibly? I have two and myself and my husband. And I'm just like, I I shut the guest room door and like dump it on the bed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then these, you know, these strange kind of ideals that that somehow everything that's perfectly put away and just so is somehow better than the guest room with the closed door with the laundry all over the place. Like, so then there's all these like, well, that's better. This is worse. And so this black and white kind of thinking that, you know, we sort of cling on to because that's kind of what we've learned and, oh, okay, this is acceptable. This is not acceptable. Right. And so there was that. And then I become friends with all these women who are full on gourmet cooks. I mean, gourmet cooks, right? And so then here's me showing up to the gathering with my crock pot, you know, meatballs from Costco with like, you know, a jar of um, cranberry jelly thrown in there, you know, nothing like totally just this kind of 70s dump and dump meal. And uh, just feeling like I really was not really at their level, feeling pretty subpar. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you are going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. 
So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Right? I have to say that once I stopped drinking and you're more honest and you're more vulnerable just because you don't tolerate small talk as much. Like Mm -hmm. everybody's, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's like, oh, I'm fine, but I'm so busy. You know, that the general thing. Once I got more vulnerable and talked to people honestly, they all opened up to me. And even the people who I thought were perfect have shit going on, have shit going on where they too don't feel good enough or they're struggling with things and it may not um, be necessarily what I'm struggling with, but it is valid and real. Um, And it is not completely in your head that you feel this way. I mean, I remember a couple of times, but one in specific where I was a director at this global company. I was the youngest woman, youngest anyway, but youngest woman promoted to that level. And it was company basically of old British men. And my boss, who is a nice guy, literally told me, you need to speak more slowly in meetings. You need to be less excited. And I was the director of freaking entertainment imagery. I mean, we were talking about Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan and, you know, Angelina Jolie photography back in the day and all these British men. I'm like, dude, you don't get my customer base. I do. Like I was subscribing to like people and in touch and entertainment tonight. So these old guys, I'm like, I am way closer and understand our audience better than you. And yet I felt I was too young. And this is weird. 
I'm 5'3". I always felt like I was too short to be taken mm-hmm. seriously. I sure. needed to be taller and I needed to dress better. I never had the right clothes and I was never thin enough or pretty enough mm-hmm. and you know to be taken seriously or to be respected or whatever it was and that just carries through and it's so dumb. I mean it really is, but it is hard to get out of your own head. One of my favorite quotes that I keep on, you know, a bulletin board in my office is basically it says like, girl, if you could see yourself for one minute, the way the rest of the world sees you, you'd be amazed. And one of the projects that I've done that a coach told me to do is she calls it the essence project. And basically you text everyone you know like colleagues, close colleagues, colleagues that you don't know very well, your mother, your sister, your best friend, your husband, your kid, and say, hey, can you give me three words you think of when you think of me to describe me? And they were so consistent, but also so positive that I was like, I go around thinking, this about myself and that about myself. And, you know, the most positive thing is like, I'm really nice, you Mm -hmm. know? And there was such a range that made me feel really good. Like I actually had it on my wall for years just to be like, this is what the rest of the world experiences about me. And there was none. She's really short and too chubby. I got a sight on the list. You know, right. maybe they're being nice, but literally, I don't think that's what comes to mind. Nope, not at all. And I love that you brought that up because I was going through a box upstairs. This is like a couple months ago. And I found from my fourth grade class, you know, one of those construction paper books where I don't know if it was my birthday or I was like student of the week or what it was, but it was like, you know how they put your name down and you they do like an acrostic, right? Yeah. So like Amy, like A is for amazing, M is for whatever. So I'm leafing through this thing that these guys made for me. And first of all, I was shocked because it brought me right back. I was like, oh my gosh, I remember myself as a fourth grader, right? I remember what that felt like. And like everybody in there wrote things that are true today for me. Like people were putting, and I know this is like not correct grammar, but it was fourth grade, but they would put author is what she wants to be, right? And for M, they put like mayonnaise, she hates. I still hate mayonnaise. Like, you know, Y was uh, yellow is her least favorite color or whatever. I mean, that that stuff is still true. But what's crazy and interesting is I wanted to write books back then. That's what I wanted to do. And then today I have done that. So it was kind of like this weird full circle moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm still that girl. I'm just like older in my body and older with aches and pains and all of that. But 
you know, it it is interesting and fascinating that like, you know, here we are as grown-ups now, just and and here I am still walking around like I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm afraid everybody's gonna find out I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. But it's far less painful today, right? Like it's far, I've learned to look at it more most days. Now, some days I'm kind of in an emotional funk and I can't get there and that's okay. But uh, most days I can go like with imposter syndrome, you know, this is actually kind of a superpower because mm-hmm. what I've tried to learn to do is to look at it as an adaptive behavior, just like anything else, right? Like people online are always posting, you know, oh, life hacks, you know, this is a hack to get through your life, right? Like this is how you can make 48 cupcakes or whatever quickly. And and I realize now that like, oh, so imposter syndrome you know, it's just kind of a way that I was protecting myself, you know, from, and, and still is a way that I protect myself from feeling like, I don't know, that there is this place that I'm going to get to where I have it all kind of figured out by myself. And it's like, no, I don't have it all figured out by myself. And what I have is the benefit of not having anything be like either or right or wrong. I have many contributors into my perceived successes or failures. And one example I can think of it in terms of sobriety is, you know, when I first got sober, the first couple of years, I was always saying, well, you know, I attribute this to the 12 step program or for, you know, attribute it to like my particular rehab where I went, right? I was always giving them the credit and the program of this and that, the credit. Whereas like, yeah, okay, fine. That definitely was a huge part of the recipe of the recovery, you know, uncovering that that girl who was still in there who had clouded everything with alcohol, right? Um, that was part. But also, I did the hard work. You know, I sat on the therapist couch, this time without vodka in my purse, right? But but I did that work. I did the writing. I- and vulnerable yes. and went through difficult times and realized that you could handle it, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And And I never would give myself credit for that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just such a fascinating thing. I know particularly that that women do is, oh, well, yeah, if it weren't for this, then I wouldn't be where I am today, which yeah, again, it's it's both, right? It's hard yeah. work and it's opportunity. And well, and I yeah. think that in families too, and I don't know if you've seen this, um, so my sister and I are only. 18 months apart. And I think especially if you're the same sex and if you're close in age, your parents kind of assign you roles in the family. Your personality becomes who you are. And my sister was always the smart one and the responsible one. Mm. And I was always the one who had a lot of friends, was very social, and was bad with money which Mm -hmm. cracks me up. And 
you know, they were not wrong. My sister was always saving money when I was like 12 or 13 and I was always spending it. And like my birthday present was always my parents would forgive my debt to them, you know, for my allowance. So they were not wrong. And I was very social. But, you know, to this day, they're like, oh, Sarah's the elephant, meaning she has a great memory. And Sarah's the responsible one. And I'm like, dude, I have a job. I'm a, you know, I was, you know, a director at a Fortune 500 company at some point. I, you know, had all these things and your parents reinforced, like I'm 40 years old. Seriously. I am also responsible. Um, but it reinforces the idea that you're not smart enough, that you're flighty, that you spend money on things that are not what you should be doing. You know what I mean? It just, yep. especially with your family, it um, yep. you're almost always 13 years old in my mind. Perpetually, right? Like right? there's that old saying that's like, your family knows what buttons to push because they're the ones who installed them or yeah. something like that. You know, I think I butchered it, but I was the same way, just so you know. I told my brother, my little brother, I think I still owe you money, you know, because I was huh. always borrowing from him because I never had money. Like I'd get my allowance and boom, it was gone. I, w- I wanted that tape. I wanted the CD. I wanted the yes. music. It's like, and, you know, I look back and I'm like, Dude, that entire thing was 50 bucks. Yeah. But to this day, my mom's like, oh, you have expensive taste, including because I chose the stainless steel refrigerator over the white refrigerator. And I'm like, seriously, I was supposed to save 100 bucks to get a white fridge because that's the fiscally responsible thing to do. I mean, it's just kind of funny. You and I must be like, sisters or our moms took the same like parenting class somewhere along the way because my mom uh perpetually has told me my whole life you have champagne tastes on a beer budget yeah yeah and to be fair like my mother lives in a house they bought in 1969 uh and she's never redone anything in it god bless her but what drives me crazy is she literally has a dishwasher i kid you not that she rolls over to the sink and like attaches the hose every night and i'm just like mom you're killing me with this like buy a damn new i've offered to buy it for her she's like no 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 this is fine for me you know what i mean and i'm like yes Okay, you're taking this to a new level. <laughs> no. Yep. Nope. I've got the same same parents. Trust me. I know. And and the funniest part about it is too, like, I mean, my parents still have cookware and dishes that they got for their wedding. Yeah. I, I mean, like they have had it longer than I've been alive. Yeah. And like, yeah. God bless them, right? Yes. My mom cares about education and travel, yeah. and that's amazing. For sure. But they do institute, you know, because they're trying to raise you and instill their values in you. But a lot of times they do it by making you a cliche of the negative. And, you know, I'm sure you, I try very hard 
to not do that with my kids, right? We're we're definitely different than parents who raised us in the 70s and 80s. But I know I do it too, you know? Uh Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I do the same thing uh, with my parents. I will try and see, this is even funny that this has come up because I'll try and overcompensate. Like I'll be like, okay, I want to take you guys to dinner. And then they want to like pitch in, they want to leave the tip and all this stuff. And I'm like, just let me treat you, you know? And so even like that kind of weird messaging, you know, what am I attaching to this messaging that, you know, you're attaching something else, some other kind of messaging and yeah. And then how can I- And of got it from their parents too, right? I mean, I remember my mom was here visiting and my daughter was seven and think she has a lot of confidence and, you know- I wish at seven, I had the confidence she did, but she was saying something or doing something. And my mom was like, well, don't get, you know, too big in your britches. That's not nice. And I was like, mom, we are not doing that to her. The world will do that to her. Yes. Like let her think she's amazing because she is, you know? So I think it is the family you're raised in, the society you're raised in the culture, the workplace. And, you know, it's not just that, oh my gosh, we are weak people because we don't believe in ourselves. Like, this is legit. There is a reason you feel this way. And Mm -hmm. then the question is, how do we overcome this? Right? Right. Right. Yeah, totally. And I think for me, the big deal is just using that same set of tools that I got when I was newly sober. The chief tool that I use, number one, is that reframing. Like, wait a minute, you know, let me take this idea that I'm this, that, and the other thing, or not good enough, or don't belong here. Let me take that idea to court and let me really lay out the evidence, right? Let me see if this is true forensic evidence, DNA, or is this just kind of circumstantial hearsay that's going on in my brain, right? So I think too, you know, it's interesting. It's that whole fight or flight amygdala thing that I'll get into like this old narrative really quick that will just be like a fire alarm pulling in my brain and and I'll go, oh, yeah, I know this one. Uh, Yeah, this is because I'm dumb and I'm not as smart as everybody else in the room. And like, that will be the fire alarm. And then I'll have to go, okay, wait a minute. Like, let me pause. Let me get centered. Let me do some breath work. Let me go outside, whatever it is. And then let me come back to this whole idea and really get that like prefrontal cortex thing going where I just go, Okay, now in the more cognitive um, part of my brain, let me really like look at this. Is this true, what I'm thinking? Or is this just an old tape, right? And it feels so real in that moment. But um, yeah, that, that is one of my biggest, biggest things that works for me is like, I'm gonna challenge that thought, right? Because I don't control the thoughts that randomly fly into my brain. 
But it's like, I do control that second thought. You know, am I going to choose to spin out of control and let this ruin my day and go upstairs with a bag of Cheetos and a box of Oreos and just like, uh, I'm a waste for society today. Like I'm just, you know, or am I going to just go, oh, okay, let me have empathy for that little girl who still feels dumb and let me just go, okay, I'm going to set that aside because I know that I'm not dumb or incapable. I mean, I got dressed this morning, right? So for me, it's like whatever it is that I can do to challenge those misbeliefs, Yeah, it's not this instant fix where I'm like, woo, life is wonderful and amazing, but it definitely helps and it's a good yeah. practice. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. I think that is really good information. And one of the things we need to do is celebrate our achievements, right? And we don't do that enough. We attribute it to luck. We attribute it to, you know, chance, but actually acknowledging and celebrating the good stuff that you've done in your life and taking a moment to even write it down. The other thing I've had to do that helped me is I mentioned the essence project. Yeah. Um, you know, some words came up five times from many different people. And even though I was kind of afraid to ask my mother and my sister, and I was actually surprised the things they said, you know, just I was like, oh, I had no idea that's what you thought when you when you thought of me. And I've got to pull it out to remember what they all were. So that was very positive. Um, the other thing that helped me was talking about my feelings, like talking about what I was scared of, what was bothering me, honestly. And that really helped, you know, ta- actually the the best part was talking about it with other women who either had struggled with alcohol or were going through it because a lot of your triggers are honestly related to your fears or imposter syndrome. And, you know, even my best friends for years, I didn't talk about like, I'm terrified I'm not going to hit the numbers. And I feel like my boss was disappointed in me today. Or, 
you know, my husband is not, is really doing X, Y, Z, and I'm resentful. And what's underlying that is I'm afraid to speak up because I don't want him to be quote unquote mad at me, or I don't want him to come back with all the things I'm doing wrong. And that's all related to fear-based imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough. I need to earn love, right? Yep, absolutely. Totally relate to all of that. And, you know, they've got these little quips, right, for the word fear, right? Like false evidence appearing real. And that's the one that speaks to me the most is like... I heard it, I always think of fear as fuck everything and run. <laughs> another great one, right? right? Another great one. Because it is. It's true. It's Again, it's that like, what am I... Ah, what do I do with this? This is so uncomfortable. And I think, you know, for me, that's all part of it is getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable and knowing that it is okay. It is okay to, you know, feel out of place like a fish out of water. It is nothing is wrong with that, but it's what I do next, right? What am I going to let? I mean, I remember being a kid and walking into an audition for, I think it was Bye Bye Birdie. And I like had a song prepared and all this. And I like, froze. I could not remember. And I was like, oh, I mean, this is like trauma for me at this age was this was my biggest experience with like anything dramatic. Right. And I just remember feeling like, oh, my gosh, well, that's okay to feel embarrassment or to feel, you know, like, dang, disappointment, you know, like, I Mm -hmm. wish I would have remembered it or whatever. But you know, and that that's normal. And I think that's another thing that I don't do is think I'm not the only person who experiences this. And I think that sometimes I'll have a tendency to think I'm like alone. And when I get that feeling, it's never good. It's always best for me to, to just talk about it and get it out there. And then inevitably I find, yeah, this is not a new thought. Somebody else too has has had similar thoughts about their own self and their life. And, you know, it's okay. It takes the the sting out of it, you know. And when having self-compassion, like, yeah. of course, anyone would feel that way if you felt that way. And I feel like when you were talking about that little girl, we have such a harsh inner critic that yes. we have inherited to try to keep us safe. And it is helpful to think about what would I say to my best friend in this situation? How would I talk to her, whether she's feeling like she screwed up at work or she's not good enough or she's, you know, should be bringing this homemade thing or should be volunteering more or what will people think? Or I screamed at my daughter right? Like I totally lost it on her and I feel awful about it and say, okay, what would you tell your best friend if she came to you and was like, I did this thing. And you would say, that is totally normal. Mm -hmm. I've done that too. Right. You can make this right. There is nothing wrong with you. You know what I mean? Yep. 
Yeah. Or even I, I love to say when somebody will say something negative about themselves in my presence, I'll go, don't talk about my friend that way. Right. Because I, I just I I know what that is like to adopt that negative self-talk. Right. And even rewinding to treatment. Right. One of our assignments was bring in a picture of yourself as a child. Right. Mm-hmm. Would you speak to the child that way? The way that yeah. you're speaking to yourself, you know, and my therapist told me to do that because yeah. my daughter at the time was like four years old when I was going and she was like my mini me and still kind of is like when I was her age, she looked just like me, except she has way more confidence. And my therapist was like, would you tell your daughter? what you are telling yourself. And I was Mm. like, hell no, I would hold her and cuddle her and tell her I loved her no matter what. And it was going to be okay. And, you know, all those good things, you know, you are safe, you are loved, you know, you are smart, you are good, you know, or this situation sucks. And I think you should get out of it, you know, whatever it is. Right. Absolutely. And and I think that that is so beautiful that your daughter has that confidence, you know, and has that sense of self. And and as a mom, you know, the, isn't that like the dream, right? That's what we want for our daughters. And, and I hope she doesn't but, lose it. But yeah, you know, she also came to me at some point and she was seven and said, Mom, my stomach doesn't go in. It goes out. Mm. that's bad, right? And I was like, oh my God, your freaking organs are in there. Like, of course yeah. it doesn't go in. You know what I mean? Like, and that's your, you're like, how the hell do they, you know, society, they've already gotten the message at seven years old that their body should be smaller, different yeah. than it naturally is. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I just want to just run and like, you know, throw a protective bubble covering over my guys and just be like, no, like, it's okay. Have the second piece of pizza, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know what the other thing that helped me? And again, this was something I was really only able to do after I stopped drinking was sort of the idea, and I actually heard this in a 12-step program I didn't attend for that long, but I got a lot of nuggets out of it that helped me, was the idea that however someone reacts to you is 90% about whatever is going on with them and only 10% about you. And I sort of made that into, I had a boss that was, you know, she was single, she didn't have kids, she was very ambitious, she wanted to climb the ladder, she was very big on managing up. And, you know, everything was about how she can prove she's successful. But she worked a lot of nights, she worked a lot of weekends, she was always on the road, and her career was the most important thing to her. And she clearly did not think that I was putting in the hours or the dedication or whatever it is that she thought I should, you know, she Mm. was like, okay, that what she wanted me to do was 50% travel. And I had two little kids and my marriage 
was equal and I wanted to be home and I was sober. So it was not a great idea for me to be in a random city in a random hotel room going out to business dinners half of my time. Like there were so many reasons this was going to be bad. And I realized that if I did not want her life, which I did not, I wanted to be home with my kids. I wanted to walk them to the bus stop. I wanted to go to my workouts with my friends. I loved my home. If I did not want that life, then by definition, she needed to disapprove of me. I needed to disappoint her. Otherwise, if I was trying to please her and make her think I'm amazing, I would end up like her. And I think that was hard for me. But just knowing that in order to live the life I wanted to be happy, I needed her to some extent to be disapproving of my choices. Totally. I mean, I imagine in a sense, it was probably kind of validating, you know, like, okay. Like, I mean, and that's the, those tough realizations, but it's like, oh, I, okay. I am on the right track for me, you know, and that whole idea of, yeah, if you're not approving of this, then I guess that means that I'm actually kind of, I'm doing what I need to do, like what I set out to do. That's what my priority set is. And I'm fulfilling that. And yeah, maybe this isn't the best fit or whatever. And it did let me release some of the feeling less than just realize that. Sure. And some of the need for the pat on the head and the approval and overworking and perfectionism and fear of failure. That was all part of imposter imposter syndrome. And it worked out like she promoted someone else to that job that I really did not want. She transferred me to another team where I had a fantastic boss and he was very work to live and they were on the East Coast. So everybody left by 4 p.m., which meant I could get some work done, but I also could finally leave at 5.30 to get my kids at daycare versus she was like, I set a 6 p.m. meeting and I can't believe you're not going to be at it. This is a crisis, which (laughs) literally couldn't, you know? Yeah. Well, and even taking that same principle, that same idea of all of that, and even not in the workplace too, it's like, okay. It's that old saying, which I hope I don't mess it up, but people who mind don't matter. People who matter don't mind. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like, okay, so if this doesn't line up with what I'm doing, with what my priority set is, then that's okay. I'm I'm actually, I'm, you know, of course I'm gonna go through some emotional upheaval and feel like, you know somebody disapproved. Ah, but I'm eventually going to realize, oh, that person kind of, yeah, did me a favor by promoting somebody else because I wouldn't have wanted that job anyway, or I wouldn't have wanted to be in that position. It wouldn't have been a good fit for me because then I, you know, all of a sudden like trying so exorbitantly hard for something that doesn't even really line up with my belief system and my values. And yeah. And in order to feel that way, you have to tap into 
and figure out what are your values and what do you want out of life? Because if you are constantly measuring yourself by someone else and feeling like you're not living up to things, it's possible that whatever situation you're in, including hanging out with the moms who make the the gourmet stuff that you feel like they're judging you for your meatballs, maybe they're not your people. Maybe you need to find other people who you don't feel judged for doing that, you know, and that's okay. And I almost feel like too, you know, it is funny bringing it full circle back to the men uh, comment. It's like, Guys in that same scenario, like with other dads, I mean, they don't give a shit, right? Like they're like, oh, what brand of diapers are you using? Oh, Pampers, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Are you doing um like are you making your own baby food? Yeah. Okay, cool. Like I'm not. Yeah. Like they don't care, you know? Like they're just like broing oh out, you know. I am I am brought back, by the way to my new favorite song and I rotate my favorite songs. My new one is Taylor Swift's The Man. And the idea is like, what would it be like to be in a man's world, right? Like to have people say all the positive things versus judging you for everything. And if anyone hasn't listened to this song, you should because it helps you understand why you feel the way you feel and why you feel insecure. And the fact is, it's not all in your head. It is the right, you know, like, you know, what would it be like if I was given credit for my achievements and not thought that I was lucky or lucky to be there or, you know, like a bitch or too ambitious or not a good mother because you're not around your kids or whatever it is. So that song is is my favorite right now and the other thing is a joke that i think my husband doesn't like but i say it all the time and i used to say it to my female coworkers cuz i saw it i was like god grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man no. you know? cuz like i mean i would literally look at him so and be like you are fucking up and how are you walking through the world thinking that you're the shit like, right? I do not understand. And I'm like, how the hell is your male boss walking around thinking that you're awesome? Because that was crappy work. You know? Oh, yeah. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on demand coaching course the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around 
group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Totally. I mean, honestly, that is a whole nother topic in and of itself. We yes. will have to discuss that at some point because I yes. could not agree more. And I love the joke. Yeah, totally. I'm like gender bias and the the mom penalty, right? Yes. When your mother, oh, you're not as serious about work or right. you should not be promoted or doing all these things despite the fact that you are working very hard and coming home and, you know, for me, doing all the kids stuff and then jumping back on the computer. And, you mm. know, again, I should not have done that. I should have said, hey, my personal time's really important to me and I need to take time for my kids and I need to rest. So like, I'm not going to be online after work. And guess what? They'll give that work to someone else but probably not to a man. <laughs> right? It's so true. And then, yeah, just briefly on that, because this is, again, this is a whole rabbit hole for me. But speaking of being online at night and then going through all these things, it's the email from the mother that is like, oh, you know, answered four or five days later. Particularly, I'm talking about, you know, different scenarios with the, maybe with, school or with a pediatrician office or something like that, where it's just like, oh, but if the dad calls or the dad emails, it's up to a level. It's suddenly oh my God, a big he is such a good guy. He is incredible. I can't believe you're here. I right. can't believe you volunteer at yes. school. And I'm like, seriously, you know, I know, like I even went on a field trip and I almost never did that with four volunteers, all four of us worked. One was a man and he was the hero for being oh, yeah. there. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Seriously? Yep. Like it was over the top, you know? Yep. Yep. I have been there. I have seen it. Or if they take your kid to the grocery store, whoa, it's father of the year. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. My boss at some, you know, his wife stayed at home, but it was still ridiculous. And he said to me, oh, I've got to babysit my kid tonight. And I was like, uh, Jay, I think it's called parenting. Huh? <laughs> you know, like, you're not yep. babysitting your own kid. Nope. But yes. Okay. We have talked about, what have we talked about? All the reasons women feel imposter syndrome. We've talked about the fact that you are not the only one 
who feels this. I feel like every woman I have talked to vulnerably and honestly feels this way as well. And there are things that you can do to counteract this and to manage it without drinking over it Mm -hmm. and without having like stewing over it, having it go through your mind all the time. I want to go through your tips again and then I'll do mine and we'll just, you know, can we just bullet out the things that we do that and that we we're both coaches that we advise our clients to do that will help them along this path of, of dealing with imposter syndrome. Sure. The biggest one for me is affirmations. It sounds cheesy, but it works like writing them down, something about that brain to hand connection of writing, you know, these things down and then posting them because I'm really visual. So I need to see them. So I do have post-it notes kind of all over my mirror or I'll use a dry erase marker on my mirror. And another thing is, as I'm kind of alluded to earlier, like a centering practice, some kind of a spirituality. Um, I even have a labyrinth blanket that I lay out on the ground sometimes and I'll walk the labyrinth and it just really helps me to remember like, okay, yeah, I'm getting all these old messages or messages that are current that are attached to old misbeliefs and that really helps to pull me out of it. And thirdly, support network of some kind, right? Whether that's friends who you can be super honest with or confide in, right? Or having a friend tell you, okay, but wait, here's what I see in you that will counteract that imposter syndrome and those negative belief systems, right? Hmm. Those are probably, I would say, my top three. Yeah, I love that. I think mine are one sort of trying to celebrate your strengths and see Mm. yourself the way other people in the world see you. What do they observe? What do they think of you? And for me, it's that essence project that really helped me. And if you're thinking about it, just say, tell someone, oh, hey, I'm doing, doing a project. Will you text me three words that you think when you think of me, like that you think describe me? And it's super quick. You don't want them to overthink it. Just ha- And then ask a whole bunch of people who know you well and don't know you that well and look at the patterns and hold on to that because we are so harsh on ourselves. And I promise you, you will see patterns come out that are positive and strengths. Mm-hmm. The other thing is actually talking about it with people you trust yeah. because Airing it out will help you see that you're not alone and see that everyone struggles with this. And think about when someone tells you the reasons they feel imposter syndrome, you'll be like, oh my God, that is not you. Like, look at what you've done. Look at how amazing you are. You know, I wish I had XYZ. And kind of talk to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend. Boundaries are a really good thing to do. Noticing the people that light you up and the people 
that drag you down, meaning the people that suck your energy or make you feel worse about yourself, edit that. If someone is consistently making you feel less than, stay away from them. Like they're not your people. And then therapy. I loved mm-hmm. therapy for yep. having even an hour a week to think about what I'm feeling, to share it, and to get more tools. Yep. Love it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Tell us how we can find you, how women can work with you, where they can get your books, all the good stuff. Sure. All of that is found at amylizharrison.com. And I'm Amy Liz Harrison across all the platforms, Instagram and Facebook. I do a little bit of TikTok, not much, but yeah. And I'm on like Pinterest and I think Twitter X, whatever it is now. I think that that's everything. I'm kind of old, so I'm mostly a Facebook girl. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Yes. So Amy Liz Harrison. One word. Yep. Awesome. I love um, it. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more.